All right, so we are beginning, and I kind of saved this up. We are starting a brand new series today, and then we are also starting a brand new series on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, so that those who are just switched over can catch it. I didn't want to have you guys uh, in the middle of it uh, when we started it. So on Tuesday night, we are going to do um, a book, um, which is going to talk about Psalm 23. It talks about a shepherd looking at Psalm 23. So it's an excellent book. I read it many years ago for the first time, and it was great. And many of you uh, know about sheep and things in your life. So it might be a little more impactful. But this morning, we are going to begin the book of Romans. All right? Book of Romans. you to open your Bibles, not to the book of Romans to begin with. (laughs) That's a trick. Go to the back of your Bibles, like the back couple pages. Do you have maps? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Do you have a map with something called Paul's journeys? Sometimes it's Paul's first and second journey and then third and fourth journey. Sometimes it's all of them together. Apostle Paul. You got one? Anybody got one? I do not. No. No? Not no. in the black Bibles. Alright. I don't have that. This one's too old. And it's really <laughs> Yeah. You got one? Yeah. Alright. You got one? Yeah. Paul's journeys. Okay. So if you look at Paul's journeys, if you don't have one, show other people, those who do have one. Alright? And you guys don't, so... No, none of us do. It's really sad. But she does. I will drop <laughs> I will draw a picture. So, if you look at my famous map, here's my regular famous map. Alright, this is drawn perfectly to scale, by the way. This is the Red Sea. Red. This is the Nile River. So this is Egypt over in here, both sides of the Nile, but Egypt is all through here. Okay. This is anybody know? So it's the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, and this is the Med Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Yep. This is the Sea of Galilee, which is famous because who came from Galilee? Jesus, yep. Okay, so that's where the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and others, fished, right? It was the Sea of Galilee. And what's this river? The Jordan River. Why is that famous? Because it's the Jordan River. What? Okay, yes, they split the river. They crossed into, but Moses never did it, right? He was so close, but then just didn't. He watched from the mountains on the other side. Joshua came, and they split the river to come in. Um, And the priests walk in, and the river went, and they walked right across, right? Also, Moses split the Red Sea, right? Yes. So that's not why I was thinking it's famous, but yes, it's famous for that. And what else happened in the Jordan River? Didn't it like turn to something? Turn to water. 
<laughs> what about what happened to Jesus in the Jordan River? He got baptized. Okay, <laughs> he got baptized in the Jordan River. Okay, all of that to say that's just the edge of the map. Paul began his journeys from Jerusalem and here. Okay, and he went up through north up into what essentially was Asia. Okay, and he also went down through, and this is yeah perfectly to scale. And it's not really, but... Yep, so that's Italy. And this is what? The Peloponnesian Peninsula. Yes, Greece, okay? And there's famous places like Corinth is stuck in that Peloponnesian Peninsula. And Macedonia, okay, is here, right? And actually, this kind of wraps... It kind of does, like this right the the way it wraps around and if you had a perfect map you'd see that but basically paul took all these journeys went back went further and back he did one of them and then his final journey was he essentially ended up in the capital of italy which was rome and why does he care about that's a really good clue since we're in the book of Romans, right? <laughs> Why does he care about Rome? It is fancy because all roads lead to Rome. Why? Oh, because um, it was like the biggest thing empire. The Roman Empire was big. The Roman Empire was big, and in Rome was. Who lives in Rome? Who lives in the capital city? Moses. <laughs> Caesar lives in the capital city. Woo! That's like rough this morning. <laughs> Caesar is the emperor. Okay, he's the emperor of of the Roman Empire, and everybody within that place, everybody within everywhere. Okay, Roman Empire was they took over with their army all the way around, really basically the borders of Israel, all the way around into northern Africa. They took around all around the Mediterranean Sea, and they called it Mare Nostrum. Mare Nostrum. Which means our little lake. We, we own it, because we conquered everything around it, right? And they were a bit of... They had some pride going on, okay? The Romans were very prideful people. They were a tough people. Their army was unbeatable. Except then eventually their country fell apart from the inside out and rotted from corruption. But meanwhile, Paul, during Paul's time, wanted to go to see Caesar. And Paul wanted to tell Caesar about God. What we know is that he did get to Rome. What we don't know is if he ever stood in front of Caesar. We assume he did, but we do not know that he stood in front of Caesar. And the only way he got to stand in front of Caesar was not because he, he demanded it. What he did was he was accused of a crime. 
Paul was accused of inciting riots, essentially, with his Christian teaching. And he said, I am not guilty of inciting riots. I am only talking about Christ. And so he used every opportunity as an opportunity to tell about Christ. Okay? But in, when he was in Jerusalem, the Roman guards took him and they were ready to beat him. And he was able to be beaten without a trial if he was not a Roman citizen. And so the guards took him and beat him. And this was, I think, the fifth or sixth time he had been beaten. And then after they were done, he said, do you mean to say you just beat me, a Roman citizen? Now, a Roman citizen, they could not beat without a trial. They had to have a trial for him. So they beat him, and then he said, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, and I am appealing to the next level up. Now, you have a right to say if you don't think you're going to get justice, you have a right as a Roman citizen to appeal all the way up to Caesar and, and stand trial before Caesar for what you're doing. And that is exactly what Paul wanted to do, stand before Caesar. So on his missionary journeys, many of them, as he met people, some people that actually lived in Rome, Okay, that were traveling or doing business in other places when he was in Corinth or other places around. He had many, many troubles. He went to one city where they stoned him to death. And they dragged him outside the city because he was literally knocked unconscious and they thought he was dead. And then he woke up, which I'm sure was the most painful Wake up that you ever had in your life after you've been thrown stones at until you almost die. I'm sure that was very painful. But he recovered from that and went on to preach the gospel to the next city. So he was tenacious at what he did. He wrote this book of Romans to the Roman church having never have been there. And what he did is as he went to these little cities... He went to places called Derby and Lystra, Corinth was here, all these other little cities, okay, uh, Philippi. So he wrote books or letters back to the churches. So the letter of Philippi, or Phil, the Philippians, was written back to the church of Philippi. And the book of Corinthians was written back to the church of Corinth, okay? And Ephesus was those people in the region of Ephesia. Okay, or Ephesus up in here. So he, he had letters he would send back. Now Romans is a little different because he had met people that believed in Christ, but he'd never been to Rome when he wrote the book of Romans. All the other ones he wrote letters after he traveled there and sent them back. Romans was a little unusual because he sent it before saying, I want to come there. This is my goal to get there. Ultimately, we believe he did get there, okay, and stand trial. But we know when he did get there, he was in Rome for some time under a house arrest for a while, and he used, they think, for maybe even two years while he was waiting to stand trial, he used that opportunity 
to talk to the guards and have visitors and all sorts of things to turn people to Christ. And God uses anything. Now what we're going to find is the, the book of Romans is a very big view of the world and of humanity, of struggles and of triumph, of what God is doing and how he's working within a human being. Okay, It is... It is mind-bending, and it's good to think and use that a little bit. So let's go to the first chapter of Romans. We are not going to read the entire book, verse for verse. We are going to pick a section each week and do some of the highlights of each chapter or most chapters. So we're going to go to uh, the first book of uh, first chapter of Romans. As we look for something big in understanding, verse number 15, 15, 16, and 17, we're going to read, please, first. So as much as in me is, I'm, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, that you are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, so the very first thing Paul does, now he's got a whole introduction section, and he talks about Rome, and he talks about Christ a little bit, but we wanted to focus on the very first thing. He begins the book by letting the cat out of the bag. Okay, so what does that mean? Let the cat out of the bag. Reveal a secret in the beginning, right? Before you get into the meat, you reveal the secret. And so he has this secret and he says, here is the big secret. This is the crux of what we're doing. And he says, there is power in what? That verse number 15, maybe? Power in... No, no, verse 15, you got to read it. Maybe it's the next verse. Maybe it's the next verse. The power of God. power of God is in what? Salvation. Unto salvation is in what, though? Read verse 16, nice and loud, somebody. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel. The gospel. Okay. The power is in the gospel. And it's simple. We use those words all the time. What does the gospel mean? Good news. Good news. It means good news. And what is the good news? Jesus is here. Somebody else. Good news is Good news, somebody? The gospel? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died well before he died for our sins, right? He was in heaven, right? He came to earth as a baby. Died for for our sins. Rose again. And He's coming again, and that is the gospel. It's just the story of Jesus. 
from beginning to end, not just at his birth till his death, but there's more around it, okay? And the, it is power. This is what Paul is saying. I've got power in this because the gospel is in the most important thing in your life to understand. If you do not understand that God came to earth to forgive you, then you will miss the point of your life. It's as simple as that. And we're going to look at the people who did, or who are missing the point of their life. I told you, Paul starts big in Romans. He just starts mind-bendingly large. All right, let's go to verse number 18. We're going to do 18, 19, and 20, please. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of man is God is manifest in man for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All right, so here's what Paul says. Paul is a hard writer, okay? He is not, when you read it, if you read this at four in the morning, your brain doesn't even process what it is. He has difficult words sometimes, but the, the core of what he is saying has such depth. So we're starting this series knowing that it's going to take some thought and some explanation in this. So what he says in those verses is essentially mankind had the truth. When did they have the truth? Think back. Think way back. When did when mankind know about God? When they were created. When they were created, okay? And so Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden every day. Had a direct relationship with him. And then the fall happened. And they turned from God. But the knowledge was still there. And how God left, God left nature around them. But God put them out of paradise into the rest of the world and said, you're not to be in paradise any longer. You are going to have to go out and work. And you're going to have to go out and have pain and childbirth and thorns and thistles and, and things like that. And you're, you're now sentenced to work for what you're going to get. Work for your daily food, essentially. All right? And he set that in motion. That was not the intent in the beginning. But he set that in motion after sin happened. So when he did that, they knew that they messed up. Right? They remembered. They remembered paradise. Yesterday we were in there. We couldn't get back in there. We remember and we regret what we did. And they passed that to their children. And they taught their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. Except they had unleashed the biggest, most dangerous beast 
more dangerous than any wild animal that's walked the face of this earth, more dangerous than a Tyrannosaurus Rex, because a Tyrannosaurus Rex might be able to eat you, but he cannot take your soul and kill it. The beast was sin, and it killed the human race inside. Literally walking around with a living body and a dead soul. Their spirit was dead. God promised in the day that you eat that fruit, you will die. And they did. And the rest of the human race did not have the connection with God after Adam and Eve that day sinned. After that day, they could choose to seek God or not. They did not have it directly. And if they chose to seek God, and they said, there is a God out there, and I, it's important to me, if they chose to seek Him, then God through the right circumstance, would reach down into their soul and make it alive again. All right? But they were dead, every one of them, including us, inside. Without Christ, without the gospel, without the story of God, Jesus coming to earth here, we're dead. No hope. So he says, this is the big thing. This is the power. You knew... Humankind knows. When you look out the window and you go and you really, with an open mind, study what is out in nature, and that's what it says there, nature gave you enough to decide. To say, there is a God out there. How is there such order in nature? How is there such a creative connection in nature? And then you say, eh, no God. You wouldn't believe if I told you I walked back in my backyard and dug a hole and I found an entire automobile. We'll go with an automobile. Alright? An automobile. You would not believe that that automobile just happened to all, all the parts come together and work. And the keys were in it. And I got in it after I dug it out of the ground. <laughs> I turned it on and I got in and drove away. <laughs> you would never say, oh, it was just chance. It happened to get together. Right? That's insane. Whether it's an old vehicle without a computer or a new one with a computer, that's insane. You would never say that. And no scientist would ever say, because I could go to the inquirer and say, I found a car underground and it evolved. Just happened by chance from the elements. All the elements are in the earth, right? They just happened to get there together. It's insane and everybody knows it. So why the push to say we didn't, we were, we were evolved from a single cell creature? I'll tell you why the push. The push is to say God wasn't involved and we don't want him involved. We have to find a way to ignore God in all of this. And so we're going to say, science says it's not true. And yet, 
the simplest machine, if I found a handsaw in the backyard, a nice shiny handsaw with a wooden handle bolted, that's a pretty simple device, right? Pretty simple device, all, but it was made for a purpose, right? If I found that handsaw all set and ready and pulled it out and said, ooh, I can saw with this, and said, I discovered a handsaw. You would say, no, you didn't. You found it. Somebody made it, and it fell on the ground, and that was, that was it. And it has a purpose, and it works for its purpose. But why do you think it's any different for nature? Human beings being the most complicated machine ever, from their brain to their body, just physical parts, much less what goes inside that's deeper. Okay? So he's saying, what are you doing thinking that you don't, that God's not there. So what people have done, you had the knowledge, right? You had the truth. And what did you do with it? That's the next verses. Verse number 21 through 25, please. So, what he says is this. You had the chance. You knew. You knew the truth. And you said, eh, I'd rather pick a creature out and worship that creature. I'd rather make my own God. I'd rather do my own thing. And you say, well, we just don't do that anymore. The last verse that Dylan read is the key part to that thought. Mankind choose to worship the creature more than the creator. We are, we are our own creatures, right? And oftentimes, who do we worship? Ourselves. We think we're the smartest race in all the world, in all the universe. We think we're smarter than God. We think we're more important. We like to do all the things we want to make us feel good now. Give me what I want, let me do what I want to do, and forget God. That is just as much worshiping an idol, the idol of yourself, as worshiping some half man, half fish God, or whatever. Right? Worshiping the gods of the ancient Egyptians, whatever. It is the same thing. It comes down to this. I don't want to listen to God. It comes down to this. You ever heard the word? Defiance. Right? I will not do it. And that is a clear picture of what the human race 
has thought about God from the beginning. I will not do it. I will do what I want to do. That's as simple as where it comes from. Is defiance to say, I'm not doing what you tell me to do. Even if it makes sense, I don't care. I want what I want because it feels good to me. I don't care what you want. And that is the way we treat God very often in our lives. We treat God just like that and we say, eh, who cares? You can't tell me what to do. And God says, I made you. I know who you are and how you react and what you do. So what happens? You'd say, well, oh, must be people agree with it. No, they don't. They turn even more and they begin to say, you can't tell me who I am. The Bible says that men and women have a natural place, a natural way they're made, right? It's very obvious to anybody who knows anatomy and physiology and anybody who knows brain science that men and women are different. God created men and God created women and God blessed them both in a very wonderful way. And mankind says, we know better. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a woman. I want to be something else. You've heard of this, I'm sure, right? Somebody says, well, I want to be a cat. Or I want to be a fox. Right? Why? Where does that come from? And I'm not saying that kid, that kid's probably just more confused than anything. But where does that come from? That comes from the core human saying, I'm not doing what you made me to do. I will not be as you made me to be. God made men to have relationships with women in marriage. And mankind has defied that ever since the beginning. I won't get married. I'm not going to be with a woman as a man. I'm not going to be with a man as a woman. And in Romans, he says, this is like a defiling of what God created. You don't even understand what God created. And you, you stand up and you say, I will not do it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It just goes along with defiance. That's all it is. It's just another form of defiance. And as society begins to come unhinged, which, by the way, we are not the first society that has done it, there have been many societies that have crumbled over the years that have come to that point where they, they begin to say those things. I don't want to be a man anymore. I don't want to be a woman anymore. I don't want to do this. I want to be what I want to be. All comes down to the core of I will not do it. You can't tell me what to do. And God says, but I created you. You can't be anything different. You have no power to be anything different. You think you can and you can't do it. Because there's more to the physical part of a man or a woman than just changing the physical part. There's something deep inside that makes you that. Right? And every person's very different, no doubt. But God has said, I will not do that. 
So what does God do in the end? Well, man says, I won't do it. What does God do in the end? Verse number 28, I'll read it. Even as if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. Unmerciful. So without God, you cannot have good and righteous things. And this is where Paul brings us to as the human race. It says, you as a human race without God crumble into just chaos. Every kind of evil thing you can think of doing, that's what it does. And if you don't believe it, look around in society. Right? You will find it. And then they get more and more vocal about it. And they have marches about it. We're taking our rights and we're doing what we want to do. And you can't tell us what to do. It's just pure defiance. That's all it is. They're not defying me and they're not defying you. They're defying God. They don't have to answer to me and they don't have to answer to you. They have to answer to their creator. But they have said, I will worship myself. I will be most important to me. And so the battle begins with mankind and God. And this is what happens is God says, all right, go and do it. And when he allows it to go, it crumbles. And what an awful, terrible thing to talk about. Right, Paul? Come on, what'd you do? And that's why he let the cat out of the bag in the beginning to say, there is power in the gospel. There is hope. But we have to teach you to understand what mankind will do if they do not work in hope, if they do not have hope, if they work without God. We have to teach you what he will do. So that's where we're going to dig in in Romans to begin to see what humankind has done, what they do without God, and the hope that comes within. And Romans gets really amazing as we dig into it a little more. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll see you Tuesday night. Have a great day.